0: One of our pupils, Susan Foreman, came into this yard. Really? In here?
1: Young man, is it reasonable to suppose that anybody would be inside a cupboard like that? Mm. What do you say, Perry? We can go on nature walks,
2: have picnics (gasps) and jolly evenings around the campfire. Gentlemen, I've got news for you. This lighthouse is under attack and by morning we might all be dead.
1: It's a brilliant idea! It's so simple, only you could have thought of it. Oh! I'm the doctor. These are my new best friends. I'm the
2: Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk.
1: This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast with your host, Eric Gould Branson. My dear, I don't think he's as stupid as he seems. My
2: dear, nobody could be as stupid as he seems. Now drop your weapons, or I'll kill him with this deadly jelly maybe. Ah, oh, now we're getting somewhere.
1: On this podcast, we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who. In a completely random order. This time we have landed at episode 13. Unit Encounters, Invocation by Roy Gill.
2: More like a big ball of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey
1: stuff.
2: I'm going to need a swap team ready to mobilize street level maps covering all of Florida. A pot of coffee, 12 jammy Dodgers, and a fez. An apple a day keeps the. Uh... No, never mind.
1: And Olsie? I'm sorry? It's French.
2: So let's go. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. I'm Eric Gilbranson, your host, and with me as always, uh, my good friends and co-hosts of the podcast, Mr. Asad Keski and Mr. Matthew Kressel. How are you guys doing this evening? Pretty good, pretty good. Could be better, could be worse. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of how I feel right now, so... been a a little bit of a rough week for me so uh, just dealing with illness and uh, stuff in our house and Mm. hopefully all on the way to getting better and um, yeah getting over all this junk so (laughs) (laughs) it's uh, yeah other than that I've been good though I I can't complain too much It, it, it the silver lining is I have plenty of time to sit around and uh, I've been working my way through the season eight uh, Doctor Who season eight Blu-ray set and all the special features oh, and everything, which okay. has been consuming much of my time. So exciting! I, yeah, <laughs> I just finished um, watching The Mind of Evil and all of the stuff, uh, you know, the behind the sofa and all the stuff with it. And I'm gonna dive into Clause of Axos maybe even later tonight. So that's uh,
3: sounds yeah. like an awesome plan. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> so yeah. I
3: think I would go back to and...
2: being in isolation. But.
3: Yeah, I think I'll go back and at least watch all the special features. I saw the stories relatively recently, but yeah. I do want to see what new
2: stuff they've put in. Yeah, that's the first time I've seen Mind of Evil since my first watch through. So it was kind of interesting. It's been a while.
0: But... Yeah. I had to have Amazon send me a replacement set because the one they sent me, a bunch of the disks came loose in shipment. It got scratched uh,
2: up. Yeah. So. I've had so many bad experiences with Amazon, especially with books, but now with DVD sets and CDs sometimes too, or stuff arrives damaged or it's like floating in the case and Mm. all scratched up and yep. And I don't know, I guess some people must tolerate that because they keep doing it. I assume (laughs) if everybody sent them back, they'd eventually get, you know, a better shipping container for that stuff. But
0: yeah, yeah. Well, you'd, you'd think Jeff Bezos could send stuff into space and get it back, but my, my package can't <laughs> arrive safely from Amazon. <laughs>
2: right. Yeah. Uh-uh.
3: And, and I should guess. remember to always open them up and make sure that all the discs are okay.
2: Yeah, and actually this uh, unit encounters set that we're going to talk about this evening was a, a victim of some Amazon damage. So I I I think I was talking to Assad about this last time we recorded, but like I found it um, was shopping around best price, and I, Amazon's price was... Usually if it's a couple bucks here or there, I will always buy from, you know, the smaller store, but it was significantly less expensive. So I went, okay, I'll buy from Amazon. And now I'm like, yeah, it wasn't expensive. (laughs) The difference wasn't enough to make it worth my box is all dinged up and one of the cases was shipped. And yeah. so anyway,
0: of course, if you stick with downloads, you don't have to worry about that at all.
2: Yeah, that's true. And I I do like, I predominantly do downloads. Um, I just yeah from time to time especially stuff we review on the podcast or collector's piece like things I'm collecting um I will usually order the hard copy yeah. um yeah. yeah so like
3: the additional benefit I guess of ordering direct from Big Finish is that you get the download version yeah with
2: it and I think in the in the future I will do that you know the extra it wasn't, I said significant and it was, you know, it was enough to make it worth it. But at the same time, if it's going to come damaged and with no download, I'd, I'd rather spend the extra 10, 12 bucks or whatever it was. And Plus, I enjoy supporting big finish. I think that's important. Yeah. You need to order in bulk. Make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get too far in, I was going to let you guys, um, Matthew, thanks for for coming back to the show, and uh, it's always a good time to have you here, and I wanted to give you a second and let us know what it is that uh, you're working on, like anything new. I know you've recently become a published novelist, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. You want to tell us a little bit about that?
0: Certainly. Uh, My first novel, which is
2: an alternate history
0: Cold War spy thriller, uh, was released back in May by Sea Lion Press, uh, based out of the UK. They're a specifically a small publishing company dedicated to alternate history as a genre. And Our Man on the Hill basically postulates that Senator Joe McCarthy, the infamous 1950s hunter of communists in the United States government, was really a Russian agent all along. (laughs) So I actually wrote it a couple of years ago and for various reasons sat on it and, you know, 2020 rolled around and I was at home for months on end and it seemed like a good time to finally find a publisher for it. So. um,
2: Seemed, yeah, had some, some new relevance, if you will. I won't go further than that, (laughs) but yeah. So.
0: So. um it's available on kindle at the moment so you can find it on your amazon of choice whichever country you're in and it's on kindle it's relatively inexpensive i think so uh feel free to check it out and i'm in the middle of a couple of other projects at the moment which uh i'm actually going to be in a charity anthology hopefully going to be published Maybe by the time this goes out, I don't know exactly what the schedule is. So, company mm. called uh, Altrix Books, I'll be uh, doing a story in their anthology called Master Switches, which will feature the uh, Jarek Jacoby's War Masters showing up in the middle of the John Pertwee story Day of the Daleks. So, if you if you've ever seen that story and noticed some strange things going on, I'm finally going to explain what was mm. happening.
2: Well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Keep us posted on that. I'll check that out. So, Will do. Um, Asad, what have you been up to? I saw uh, via Facebook that you have returned to the theater as a spectator. Do you have anything going on on the other side? or Do you say other side of the stage? It's a camera term, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
3: no, it's just nice that uh, live theater is starting back up again uh, slowly. Audition notices are going out. If I see anything that looks interesting or uh, is uh, conveniently located, well, and combination of both. Yeah. I'll uh, go out and uh, try out for that. It it's, So it was an open mic thing that um, we were doing. So I did get to do some reading um, oh, on stage. Cool. So
0: Neat. Yeah. But,
2: thank you, yeah, It's nice that, you know, things are finally coming back. I, I have a little bit of due to my uh, recent infection. <laughs> I'm uh, a little skeptical myself of whether I'm going to be joining back into that stuff or not. I was planning That's on right. doing some stuff in the fall. I'm still planning on doing Chicago TARDIS. That'll be the last thing I give up, honestly, but we'll, we'll see where we're at at that point. But, oh. so yeah, I'm going to be, pretty will be, be there. Yeah. I feel oh, like I'll be pretty depressed. safe now going through, you know, <laughs> having right. COVID and being vaccinated. Right. I should be uh, one of the safest people walking around there. So anyway, <laughs> that's uh... <laughs> so uh, other than, you know, um the second episode of unit encounters, which is called uh, invocation, which we're going to be looking at tonight. Have you guys I mentioned that I've been working my way through through season eight Have you guys. Uh, what doctor who stuff is uh, have you guys been up to lately, or been checking out lately or is there anything that's got you excited. Um, haven't uh, seen anything
3: new recently except again I went through the whole box set of um, the unit uh, encounters. And I ordered the first, um, I just got the first collection of the uh, 13th Doctor comic strip uh, stories from Doctor Who
2: magazine. Oh, so yeah. Okay. It's it's in my uh, stack of graphic novels. Is that the um, Mistress of Chaos? Is that yeah, the uh, collection? Yeah. Yep. I, I have that one as well. Um, I didn't know if they had, uh, had two out yet or not. But anyway, yeah. As you can and tell, I, I guess I, there's I'm another really
3: collection sure. also, which <laughs> I guess is supposed to collect the last uncollected strips from Doctor Who magazine. So it'll be a multi-doctor thing.
0: Yeah, it's I, uh, Age of Chaos, which is going to have Colin yes. Baker's thing yeah, in it. Yeah. I know there's a Paul Cornell story in there too, which is, I've got it pre-ordered from Amazon, so I'm looking forward to that.
2: Yeah, so... Yeah. I, I to like kind that. of finish off the collection, per se. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so
0: I've been mainly revisiting stuff speaking of sea lion press i they have a blog which is dedicated to various things and if you let me write for you for long enough i will figure out a way to cover doctor who (laughs) um so being an alternate history publisher and blog i've been going back through the doctor who unbound series okay yep on there so i've been slowly but surely making my way through a release a month so i'll probably have done all eight releases by the end of the year so I think Full Fathom Five should be out this Friday, if memory serves. Okay. Yes.
2: Yeah, and I, um, I've heard a few of the Unbounds, and I know I read your review of uh, what is it, Old Mortality? Is that the? Um, that was or, the first Old Mortality. Yeah. yeah, the one with, uh, yep, yeah, the first Doctor, uh, alternate first Doctor, which is I, I really enjoyed that, and enjoyed your review as well. But, um, but yeah, that's, uh, and I think I've heard another one of them. There, that's an interesting series for sure. Yes kind of all the it's it's kind of the doctor who equivalent of marvel's what if which i think right. we're getting a tv series of here mm-hmm. sometime soon yeah. but yeah <laughs> animated so yeah
0: dropping like, august 11th i think
2: yeah i know it's coming up pretty soon and i only just saw a trailer for it i think but
0: yeah uh,
3: we also had sure. turn left
2: from doctor who itself
0: <laughs> yeah yeah right yep well inferno before that
2: yes <laughs> Yeah, which this box set had an interesting uh, yeah. <laughs> Inferno-esque story, so that's good. Yes. So. <laughs> and now we take a quick break to let you know about some other excellent podcasts that you should check out. They all
0: say who is Doctor
2: Who? Hello, I'm Larry Van Mersbergen, and host and producer of the Doctor Who Collectors Podcasts. Now that you're listening to a thorough discussion of random Doctor Who episodes, why not find them on the Target book range? or the hardcover, or anything else with Doctor Who. For all things Doctor Who Collectibles, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and everywhere you find your Doctor Who podcasts. Also a proud member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard Podcast.
1: You ask he may show it.
0: He simply elevates a stone Where you want, I would flow Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Witt, and every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me we also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including... Dalton Hughes. And... Alison fitch You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Police
2: Box in the Junkyard podcast. Enjoy your travels. But I suppose we should uh, dive into talking about the uh, one unit adventure that we are going to focus on. And that is the uh, second um, story in the fifth season of Big Finish's new unit adventures. This box set was called Unit Encounters. And um, the story is Invocation by Roy Gill. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Unit Series 5.
1: As Eildon lay dying, his last words were, I flee from the hand of the Grey Man. The, the Grey Man, long, twisted fingers, reaching out. Respect numbers are increasing, we're getting people out of the affected areas, but if the ghost zone continues to spread, we'll have a mass riot on our hands. Whoa. Whoa.
2: Uh, directed by Ken Bentley, starring the regular unit cast, which is Gemma Redgrave as uh, Kate Stewart, Ingrid Oliver as Osgood, uh, James Joyce as Captain Josh Carter. And um, this story, not so much, but I'm going to throw him uh, a um, cast mention anyway as uh, Ramon Takaram uh, as Captain or Colonel Shindy uh, as well. So um hopefully i didn't totally butcher the pronunciation there but um he stars very heavily in every story but this one where i think he's only got a line or two but anyway he gets it because he's a regular (laughs) so um i'll get you a quick synopsis of what invocation is all about uh from the back of the cd it's halloween and josh finds himself at a party where phantoms are becoming all too real osgood is working late and hears a voice from the sky is marked Making strange incantations. The next day, Kate has gone missing in the Scottish Borders, and the team head north to investigate. Ghosts from the past are haunting Unit, and now they threaten the whole world.
0: Dun dun dun. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um. So yeah, as I said, this comes from the fifth season of the New Unit Adventures with this. So the fifth box set with this regular cast, the cast we met in the Eleventh Doctor's era of. Um, and Kate Stewart being the daughter of Colonel Lethbridge Stewart, or sorry, Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart. (laughs) I could have been reading too many of the prequels. Um, (laughs) um, And uh, came out in 2017. Don't have a whole lot more production notes than that on it. Uh, I assume, you know, big finish uh, studios. Most things, uh, production stories are similar, I believe, but. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So yeah, this is a this is an interesting one, and um, I guess just to open up, uh, Invocation is, as mentioned on there, it's a bit of a ghost story, and uh, set at Halloween, and uh, for, for me, certainly invokes the later um, kind of Philip Hinchcliffe tones that uh, more than like the Barry Letts, uh, Terrence Dicks era of unit that we are used to when dealing with unit stories, and now I know the new unit stuff kind of floats every you know, everywhere. And they've done a good job with a lot, giving them a lot of variety. Um, but what were your um, initial thoughts after hearing this? And do you think the uh, ghost story thing works for unit? We know it works well for the Fourth Doctor, and you know, for the Seventh, and the you know, on and on. But how does it work for the unit team?
0: Well, it's funny that you mentioned it feels more like Hinchcliffe because Roy Gill and the C D extras talk actually invokes going back to, you know, we've been talking about season eight, you know, the mm. demons. Yeah. Uh, and also to a certain extent, Day of the Daleks as well, kind of deal with units playing with the supernatural to an extent. Um, I'm a sucker for a good ghost story anyway. So this was, you know, catnip for me. <laughs> yeah. Um particularly you know they mentioned the stone tape theory which for those of us who are big british cult tv fans <laughs> you know the stone tape nigel neal and indeed as osgood says uh you know nigel Neale is god <laughs> but i think if you're going to explore uh ta- or explore sort of ghosts in a scientific concept uh, and sort of do it in that kind of context, units are good as good a place as any to do it, you know. And you know, Doctor Who, as, as the third doctor says in The Demon Science, Not Magic, uh, which is especially, I think, the point of this story.
3: I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think that uh, ghost stories work fine with them. I mean, I think even like in Spearhead, um, one of the things that uh, Lethbridge says is that unit is formed to X, you know the unexplained and so
2: (laughs) yeah so taking on kind of all facets of exploring the unexplained they're not just the alien task force they're the um yeah yeah.
3: and I guess just talking about the box set in general it really gives a nice uh, broad range of uh, stories so this Mm -hmm. is a more spooky small cast uh stale not like a big world-spanning action-adventure like the next uh, story in the box set. So,
0: <laughs> Or even some of the earlier sets. I mean, Extinction, yep. you know, has them go from London to the Gobi Desert. And well, I'm trying to remember, was it the second set where they, they end up in Geneva at one point and in the, in, in the Arctic as well? So this is a, a slightly different kettle of fish.
2: Yeah. And, and what I'd read, and I've not heard, this is the first season of New Unit I've heard in its entirety, and maybe at all, I think I've heard, a couple that have the these characters um big finish that have these characters um but i, I it's supposedly a little more um a little less continuity heavy story to story right. than some of the previous sets were and some people said that that was actually something they enjoyed about it because they were able to do a couple of different kinds of stories and yeah. i think i think this story is 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 I the whole set's pretty strong, but this story is especially strong, I think, because it's, and maybe it's my my preference, but like like Matthew said, I also am a uh, sucker for a good ghost story, and I think this one hits all the right notes, and, uh, you know, it does what, what Doctor Who does so well, and that's, you know, um, like you said, it kind of breaks down the magic, so it's, right. uh, we all know that there's an explanation coming <laughs> that's not going to be, it's, it's a ghost, but, yeah, um, yeah. Although it's interesting, and
3: I can this is probably like jumping straight towards the end of the and the resolution of the story, and maybe something you wanted to discuss later, oh, sure. is no, that there. I mean, it's uh, most of the time when they face uh, magic, so to speak. There's always something a little more explanatory. It's either de- pan-dimensional. It's some sort of they're using mathematics as their <laughs> language or something. But in this case, they don't really go into and i don't know if the next box set which has some elements of continuity with this one does come back to refer to the story at any point but because the whole the whole resolution comes up there are still dangling plot threads which yeah. again works fine for a ghost story it's a little more unusual sort of doctor who uh, shenanigans
2: Well, it's interesting, what I thought was interesting (laughs) about that is we didn't get the usual, like you said, like it's all based on mathematics and this, we didn't get an explanation of who this alien race that that like, well, essentially the invocation, whether we're talking about, you know, the supernatural or not, it worked. It called something out of space that was, you know, going to uh, inflict harm upon the earth and was using fear and, you know, as a manipulating or, you know using fear as a weapon and uh we didn't get anything much more than that so it's interesting that you know the invocation or invoking the you know quote-unquote demons right actually seemed to work it, it did take it outside of the realm of you know judeo-christian mythology or whatever but you know it's it still right. called something and, up <laughs> so,
3: I mean this yeah usually they were by are the satellite suddenly came back to life and than it should ever oh no, it's all just may as well just say it was the demon <laughs> <laughs> right
0: yeah and i did think I, that, most
3: of the time it bugs me but some of this didn't really bug me
0: hmm. i mean i did like that it the whole zombie satellite thing is a space nerd because that's a that's a very real phenomenon that i you know it gets a, every time it happens a space nerd sort of perk our ears and go what on earth <laughs> uh, but because it does happen um as far as we know, nothing quite along these lines, but it is a definite right. thing that happens. And it and it adds to the ghost story flavor to it as uh-huh, well, which uh-huh. is the funny thing about it. Because, I mean, one of the big things of this box set is, is that it's always, you know, it, it's the past coming back to Haunt Unit. Whether it's, it's old foes or in this story, you know, Kate's dealing with some kind of loose ends as well from right. her dad's time running unit. Uh, so it's an interesting kind of thematic thing as well uh, that they've got going on here. Uh, I will say, I, I did think when it was, by the time it was over with, there was one thing that was bugging me when they explain what's causing it and how it's all working, which is great, except for the fact that the satellite is in space, which made me wonder how the particular medium is working that's causing the haunting.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure that they, there was like a lack of, um, a lack of like expositional you know, explanation of right. what exactly is going on. It's just kind of like, oh, they're, you know, whoever they are, they're controlling the satellite and, you know, they brought it back to life. Right. Um, it turns out that Dr. Donnelly, who's kind of set as a foil to, you know, Kate Stewart um, was, who's, who's a, a scientist who had a relationship uh, with unit and with uh, her father, Alistair Lethbridge-Stewart and um, had kind of a falling out there. And she kind of becomes the, red herring for being the one who's causing all of this to be happening um and yeah it turns out it goes way above and beyond her at the end and um mm-hmm. so if
3: anything this was kind of like occasional episodes of the x-files or of uh, evil mm-hmm. where you're kind of like mm, okay so <laughs> <laughs> could could have been magic or the devil
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Yeah. there's no there's actually nothing that says concretely except that exists in the universe where that you know usually is not the case right um there's nothing that says concretely it's not or that you know a a character here or there in this narrative couldn't walk away and you know that's what they observed or that's the events how they understand them so um we've we've already kind of talked about a few of them but like to you guys what do you think are like the main Uh, strengths of the story, and we could kind of go into a little bit more of of plot points about it. The synopsis I gave wasn't incredibly descriptive, so feel free. um, You're not repeating anything if you uh, um, go a little bit into that. But like strengths of the stories, weaknesses, um, favorite cast members, standout performances, anything that like really uh, that you really enjoyed about this or, or, or vice versa?
3: I just thought the whole thing just hung together pretty well. All the voice acting was um, strong. The sound design was uh, strong. I really liked it really helped. There was that there's one place where the sound goes from what it would sound like from osgood's uh, speaker. And the sound sort of becomes more clear as if you're standing then next to the satellite. And that really sort of evokes an image of If it was being filmed the camera would be sort of going from unit headquarters up into space and right next to the satellite (laughs) so that was a pretty neat uh, bit of sound design i thought
2: (laughs) yeah doing doing transitions with sound it's very cool and i've noticed that (laughs) a lot in like like ladder era big finish and really i mean just outside of the first you know 500 audio plays or something that they've really become good at like invoking things visually like it's just uh so easy to fall into but right
0: yeah I think the sound design of uh of the whole this whole set but especially this story I think really worked well it's a really good sense of atmosphere to it which is hugely important when you're doing a ghost story I mean you yeah. think about how much visuals you know go into a ghost story usually you think about particularly Hyde for example or the you know the early episodes of the demons going back to season eight again and you know how much of that they're able to do on audio, which of course is is fun when they start figuring out what's going on here. I I, I guess if I had any kind of weaknesses to it, I mean it's Roy Gill who wrote this is not alone with this because Andrew Smith also was guilty of this in the Santarin project, which is the story that follows it. Mm-hmm. Um, the the cliche of modern audio drama which is people are on the phone with one another so that's an excuse to describe what's <laughs> happening you know yeah. let me t- let me describe exactly what's happening instead of coming up with a, a perhaps a more creative oral way of getting that across and as i said roy gill's not the only one who's guilty of it but it was it was one of the two things that kind of got on my uh sort of wrinkled with me a little bit about this one in particular
2: yeah. There were multiple points, yeah, where things were done via phone conversation, but, um, yeah, I, I tend to cut, you know, audio plays, uh, I, and I agree, like there are better ways, or there could be better, more creative ways to do it, but sometimes it's just, you know, right. that's the way you got to tell the story. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I think this is like. Mostly strengths. The things that I really, really enjoyed about it. Uh, there's a lot of really great ties to like unit history and it's not necessarily history we've seen on a TV show or anything, but it feels like it's built in the authentic, like, um, history. So it's almost a story that like relies upon, um, an unseen unit adventure from the, you know, the original crew and, um, you know, the the setting or at least half of the setting is uh, Kate Stewart has gone um, into to Scotland to an old estate that Unit was, uh, was still on the books that she found that Unit was paying to keep this place open and there's a caretaker. Um, basically, she's going up to see what's going on there, why they have it, and essentially to pull the plug on whatever project is going on. She finds Dr. Donnelly and her son... Um, still working there and find and remembers uh is triggers a memory that she actually spent some time at this place as a girl on quote-unquote holiday with her father sounds like you know a working holiday but (laughs) it was a scottish it was a weekend in the scottish countryside (laughs) right (laughs) um so yeah it's uh i think that the and like I, I did mention earlier that Dr. Donnelly and um, the brigadier had, uh, he had, he had originally pulled the plug on the project. She'd worked some stuff, cooked the books or whatever, changed some, some paperwork to keep getting a paycheck and keep the house open um, in order to like, you know, secretly continue her work that, that he did not approve of basically yeah. using, using sound as a weapon is the, yeah. Um, was the research. I think and that was, yeah, sorry. No, I was gonna say, and I, I'm going a little a little deep into it just because we didn't really um, get a good good dive into what it was all about. But but I think th- those those ties to the history of unit are really strong in this story, and right. they shouldn't. I mean, I don't. By no means do I think every episode needs to be that way, but I, I like you know it's just cool because it has that good grounding and mystery, and you could feel the character of the brigadier all over this. Like it's, you know, his. And I think
3: that I really appreciated that uh, quite a lot. One thing that I found a bit odd about uh, Modern Who is that their perspective about unit really seems to vary from time to time. Sometimes they're like, oh, yes, they're good guys. They're allies. Other times it's like, "Eh, they're a little bit shady. We shouldn't really trust them. So I kind of preferred this thing. It was kind of a nice tribute to the character of uh, Lethbridge Stewart that that he didn't believe that this was an appropriate thing to develop um, and pull the plug on that and talk about him being the good judge of character and all that stuff. Even Kate's point, yeah, even Kate pointing out that, you know, unit takes care of its own.
0: Yeah. So I
3: I appreciated all that a lot.
0: Yeah. (laughs) To be fair, Asad, I mean, we could talk about Modern Who's love-hate relationship with the Time Lords and Gallifrey for that matter. <laughs> oh, don't get me yeah. started. Yes, <laughs> quite true.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, um, I do feel like, you know, and we won't, I'm not going to do a deep dive here, but I feel like you could make an argument that even the Pertwee era has a little bit of love-hate at times um certainly the doctor is very critical of their approach <laughs> often yeah, yeah
0: so. especially in the earlier stuff too so yeah. you know there's there's kind of the sense that the brigadier kind of mellows as time goes on and i think that's part of the doctor's influence on him perhaps and also <laughs> the writers kind of you know catering to the fact that pert and courtney got along as well as they did
2: All Right. yeah yeah um another thing I think works really well for me at least is I think that there's actually a good mystery here. Like it's not um, like we talked about, we know it's Dr. Who, we know we're going to get something. That's kind of uh it's not going to be a straight ghost story. It's going to be kind of a tech, um, you know, slash extraterrestrial slash, you know, whatever you're usually the ghosts are going to come from two places. It's, it's advanced tech. It's, you know, alien, alien species. Right. <laughs> it's, you know, whatever. Um, but I feel like, Yeah. <laughs> i feel like this one works as a mystery pretty well uh i don't think you ever really you know have it pegged or at least not from the get-go uh matthew mentioned the strongest thing about this entire piece that i absolutely loved is it's got that kind of creepy gothic novel ghost story atmosphere just dripping all over it especially mm-hmm. the the part you know with kate um at the mansion and and when the rest of the crew you know eventually gets there Damn. um they nailed it. Like, I don't know if it's just in the soundscapes or whatever, but it's so easy to put yourself in that, in that place. Oh
0: yeah.
3: Interesting. And kind of funny how they start out when Kate first appears in it, she's like in media rest in the middle of what seems like is about to be a very dangerous situation. but Yeah. (laughs) Turns out not quite (laughs) as dangerous as we thought it was.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just, just her phone dying really. And then, (laughs) and then yeah, her friend, you know, was his name, Ben, Ben. Yeah. Ben, Yeah. Yeah. Um, teasing her but they had a couple of like quick
3: what seemed like almost nascent uh, flirtation slash relationships first uh, the corporal and osgood and Mm -hmm. uh, then ben and kate
2: (laughs) yeah i i kind of wonder if they're building too and i know more sets have come out that i haven't heard but the um in the in the mirror universe in a later story the carter and osgood characters have a relationship right and it becomes awkward for the other ones to be you know kind of right. so i i've often wondered with these unit stories if they're not building to that anyway um, yeah but
0: right. it's a good question
2: yeah um yeah and in, and the one thing i would point out like i would i would bring to this as a weakness of the story was i thought that the structure was a little odd um I'm not sure I cared for nor thought it was necessary to have a um, non-linear narrative structure to this story. Right. Like, I don't think there was any reason the party, uh, Josh's party sequence uh, needed to happen prior to, uh, except to get like a, pre-cred- a pre-credit um, cliffhanger with with Kate, like you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. I think the
3: only one that's kind of out of sequence is Kate. Uh, Pickle, yeah. I think all the others are a little more uh, linear than that.
2: Yeah, they they kind of dangle that Kate thing um, when really that that in the narrative is have occurring, you know, prior to the party. Yeah, Um, I don't see any reason. And actually, I may have preferred it uh, because I I mean, I have listened to it twice. I don't see any reason those had to play out that way. And I feel like the haunting at the house and Kate and her childhood, that was more the crux of the story. Mm. Yeah the next the next step of the story or the ne- the logical like act two moment would be when the, the haunting spreads to the world like via the satellite and all that stuff. So then all of a sudden Kate's childhood ghost is everywhere. It's showing up at this party. People are seeing it on the streets and that seems like the second step. I think it, was, it just seemed so backwards to me and I'm not sure why they chose to do it that way but i don't know any thoughts on on that or do, am i totally crazy no i think they could have died I, I, the party scene for me was more effective
0: than than what they tried to do that pre-credits scene that mm-hmm. they had, did use because i you know and i there's a part of me yeah that since you've mentioned it i think would have preferred that it might have been the other way around because you, you could have kind of laid out the mystery for the listener more so than they did kind of in the way they did it but i think as the said you know they were just trying to put in a, a cold open Where maybe they didn't really need one.
2: Yeah. Agreed. And I just think in the way that the narrative works, I mean, I mean, Stan, you know, typically you would start with the, you know, event. the, The first plot point would be that event connected to our, you know, our main character to Kate. And then you would see this, you know, grow into a worldwide, and to start with the worldwide and then jump backwards in time just to, I don't know. It was, it didn't ruin the story at all for me. I was just, it right. just left me with a question mark. Like, well, that was a weird <laughs> presentation, mm-hmm. but. Um,
3: and I think unlike some of the times that it's done, it's, it's easy to follow as long as it's yeah. easy to, because uh, yeah, um, I can name a few Netflix shows that have done this sort of strange timeline things that, <laughs> have, Yeah. Have, and HBO also Westworld.
2: oh yeah just jumping around in time like (laughs) you figure it out where we're at and And you eventually do but it ends you're scratching your head half the time you're watching it like (laughs) Um, mystery
0: is the story
3: yeah (laughs) I will say it was seemed an odd I don't know it seemed odd to do this like somewhat on the cheap for an audio thing but it just seemed odd that Kate sort of went there by herself she didn't even have a driver to drive her down there yeah
2: um and i i would have said oh that's probably because she's you know looking because she's got a childhood attachment to it but she actually doesn't remember that right until she she gets gets there there. yeah (laughs) so so i can't that can even be the excuse that she's you know having a little holiday and kind of down memory lane or whatever and uh yeah i mean
0: i think that's a maybe a bit of a weakness to this too is that there is a you know it's i know it's a ghost story and it's got great it's got lots of atmosphere and the atmosphere i think is what really kind of supports it but there, you know, the more I'm thinking about it, uh, have when I was listening to it, when I finished it, was kind of like there is an awful lot of coincidence holding this thing together, which you know, <laughs> it, and I say this as a fiction writer, you know, coincidence, you know, coincidences happen in real life, sure, uh, it's yeah. you know, coincidences are always a part of storytelling. There's an awful lot of them in this one because not only is the satellite, the satellite just happens to come back alive saying this thing connected to this house at the exact moment that Kate shows up. It's 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 maybe a little more coincidence <laughs> th- than I'm comfortable with. Yeah.
3: yeah. And you or know, that did... Josh's friend's house was the exact same TV studio. I mean yeah Vox that... <laughs> <still> was <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> now that you guys are pointing it out <laughs> i and it does seem like a lot of coincidence but um i'm sure this is not the only story you could pick apart for that oh no but um <laughs> but yeah Probably, certainly yeah. everybody happened to be somewhere at the same time that was connected to boxtel um which is the name of the satellite but uh at the same time <laughs> so right yeah good point i think that's uh that's interesting. So, and, and I two listens through, and it, it didn't really occur to me. So, I guess it doesn't really hurt the story too badly. But,
3: um. I mean, again, I'll say that they're not. Sometimes you see, and I'm sure we all have our own prejudices about it, about what exactly it is. But sometimes you see something, even some a couple of little details, will just mess the whole story up, and it's like ah. Oh. Yeah. But and sometimes yeah. it's just you enjoyed it so much that yeah, it's like yeah. That's fine. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I hate to add, it. it, it, you know, as much as the coincidence has bugged me, it's not like I didn't enjoy the story.
1: Right. (laughs) It was
0: one of those things where even listening to it and it's like, I'm enjoying this, but you know, what are the odds of?
2: (laughs) One thing that I
3: I did think, oh, sorry.
2: No, I was gonna say, I'm probably going to be prone to forgive this one too, because I I did for, you know, enjoy it quite a bit. And I'm also prone to, I'm one of the, I tend to be able to forgive you know, most things, what I never forgive in a a piece of like fiction or something is just like, I guess mediocrity is the worst thing you can do. So you either have to Mm -hmm. like really succeed or really fail, but somewhere in between and I can forgive little (laughs) bits of pieces that don't click, but yeah, Yeah,
0: it's, it's easier to forgive over ambition than under ambition in my book.
3: Yeah. I think the only thing that really bugged me was that Osgood seemed to really have a bit of a brain blip when she didn't think that, uh, Maybe the f- fact that Josh has an auton skeleton has some <laughs> reason <laughs> or that even Josh himself didn't think that, oh, I'm a little different from <laughs> everybody else around here. So maybe that's why I'm not being affected.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 It For me, being someone who hadn't um, heard in, you know, in any sort of completion, the rest of the unit um, box sets, I was not aware Right, Josh did have an auton skeleton for so yeah. for me it was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. that makes sense. And yeah. got a little bit of an info dump there, but um, yeah, it was the first I thing for everybody I, else, else, when
3: I was watching like, and yeah. I was listening that oh, he's an auton part, he's yeah. an auton, so yeah,
0: <laughs> it had been so long since I listened to the set where that particular plot point happened that I had to, I was thankful for the reminder of it because it
2: was like, what
0: oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Um, speaking of, and we're, we're talking about individual characters, um, cast-wise in this, and I know it's an ensemble, and it's kind of the ensemble that uh, it, throughout these box sets. But uh, do you feel like in this uh, invocation is there standout performance? What do you think of the the cast in general? I thought everyone
3: was uh, really good. I mean, possibly the weakest performance was the uh, corporal you know, who's uh, talking to Oscar right in the beginning. But I guess from what I listened to the behind the scenes thing, this was maybe his first uh first big finish thing. Hmm. So hmm. Well, otherwise I, it, I thought everybody was really good. Yeah.
0: I think if there's a standout performance for me, it's um Lucy Fleming who played uh Professor Donnelly in this.
3: Yeah. So,
0: so it was a uh, fun fact for trivia buffs out there. She's actually the niece of James Bond creator Ian Fleming and also the uh. Uh, wife of Simon Williams, aka Group Captain Gilmore, over in Countermeasures. Yes,
3: yeah, so I was going to tell you the connection if you hadn't uh, brought it up. <laughs> yeah. I figured you would enjoy that one. Yeah, I saw her yeah.
2: last name was Fleming, but never did I imagine, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: yeah. So, I am nerd here yeah. <laughs> um
2: That's Yeah. One interesting
3: me, thing. Oh, sorry.
2: Well, I was going to say I mean, for me, it's uh, probably uh, Gemma Redgrave, and obviously. Again, I mentioned four or five times. I haven't, you guys all know, I haven't heard the <laughs> other other sets, but um, she really, I think, was given a chance to shine here and gave an excellent performance as, as Kate Stewart. She's always been good as the character on the show, but she's not usually given a whole lot of, you know, she comes in and she's not even given, like, you know, Brigadier type <laughs> stuff to do. It's uh, she's, you know, a featured character at best. And yeah, she's she's really incredibly good in this. And the, the scene she does play with, um, Dr. Donnelly, uh, they're, they're really good, um, as, as foils for one another or as kind of the, uh, anti antagonist and protagonist in the story. So, um, but yeah, I think it, it digs, this digs into a lot of stuff for Kate and, uh, she's just, just shows off. Gemma Ruggie just shows off what a fantastic actress she is and kind of digs for that stuff. And you could just tell in those couple of words, when she talks about her father, there's that kind of, um, I don't know it like pulls back everything that I know about their relationship comes out in that little bit. And so that's, that's, you know, fantastic voice acting. I think if I can get that from <laughs> right. that little bit. Yeah. But. It's interesting that this box set didn't have Sam Bishop since uh,
3: Warren Brown did come in uh, the last season of Dr. Who. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, hey,
0: <laughs> yeah. He was apparently off doing strike back for Sky yeah, TV. Right. <laughs> and they couldn't, they couldn't even get him in to do a cameo
3: couldn't get him in for two
0: days what yeah. Well, i think if i remember because I've, I've seen a little bit of strike back i know they do a lot of out filming outside the filming.
3: uk so yeah.
2: sure it paid a lot better
0: Yeah. Uh, where the lunches is, is good that's the right. question yeah <laughs>
2: guaranteed not that's from when i've heard everything about the lunches yeah unless it's in the contract that you have to mention the lunches i'm not sure but you know um, i think people (laughs) have wondered about that um so yeah i like in general this was a i think a really good story and 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 i'm actually going to kind of build on a little bit of what i was talking about with Gemma redgrave's performance Mm -hmm. um what do you guys think of the ending of this thing and the way that kate deals with uh dr donnelly at the end um if, if I'm understanding the way that she, you know, in a split-second split, split second decision, uh, makes a choice that essentially kills Dr. Although, I mean, she's already put herself in a position where, um, but she kills and or sacrifices this person to save the day. Um, this after be after a kind of escalated conversation in which Dr. Donnelly is insulting towards her father. Um, and it... <laughs> And maybe I'm just skewing dark on here, but it seems like a dark thing, a decision to make to right after this kind of like inflammatory, like battle of words that they have to then, you know, say the words that. uh...
3: (laughs) I'd say that maybe that's one of the issues with um, the audio medium, which I really, I really like the audio medium, but sometimes Mm. when there's a lot of screaming and shouting and stuff going on, it can be a little unclear what happens because my impression was that she was actually already dead yeah she had like yeah. fallen from the window or something so kate was just sort of taking advantage of uh, the fact that she had died
0: yeah but i think so. but i think even that being the case because that was my interpretation of it too mm-hmm. i think that uh, kate's also shaken by what ben has to say at that point too and i think kate's aware that she's done because there, there's this a wonderful shaken quality to that last scene. Right. From yep. Particularly Gemma Redgrave. And I think that there's so, sort of a sense of having done, having done the very dark thing, but not really knowing in the split moment, you know, that you have, do you have any other options when it's right. between, you know, it's, right. it's, it's you were the world. What are you
3: going right. to pick? Right. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I agree that, uh, she makes the, I mean, Donnelly falls or whatever, Kate makes the decision to use that. But once the crisis is resolved and there's a moment to, for the adrenaline to come down, she does regret what she had to do, especially with Ben being there. Yeah, because ben she is, there.
2: is friendly with Ben and yeah, he's obviously, I mean, for good reason, very shaken right. by the events. Yeah. And, uh, right. and it's a tough call. It's the kind of call that, you know, um, that the brigadier often had to make in doctor who stories and um or the doctor, you know, hundreds of times as well, but like, just, I don't know. It harkens back to just that. She's a decision maker. She's definitely her father's right. daughter. She was yeah. right on it. She uh, but I, had to make I those guess, hard decisions. Like, yeah. I guess well, I don't also
1: that... maybe
3: I'm dark. I didn't just, it, I guess it didn't disturb me that much. It would have disturbed me more if she had like said, you know, shot Donnelly or you know, pushed her into this <laughs> right or path yeah. of something and said, okay, that's or, the or said
2: the words but... first and then bang, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and it, it wasn't that dark. Like yeah, she didn't literally yeah. that's why I, I suppose I shouldn't have used the word kill in there anywhere because it's yeah in, inaccurate. But yeah. Um, again it's one of those things where you start
0: lining up the coincidences that this just happens you know she's that donnelly's just happens to be at the house when her program gets hijacked by whatever this thing is out yeah. there mm-hmm. uh, but it is well, also that sort of gothic fiction trope that whenever you kind of you do this sort of thing there's a price to be paid right um <laughs> so it, the, it the does old mad
2: scientist kind of rule when you go yeah when you push too far yeah it's,
0: and somebody has to fall from a great height to symbolize falling right. into hell so you know
3: <laughs> plus it, it, it all ties together neatly with the story of lord john
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah
3: the original priory owner so so in yeah. that way it's actually a little bit trite but again not a negative
2: but it is, but I think that triteness <laughs> actually like fits nicely into the style yeah. of a story. I think that's yeah. borrowed yeah. from yeah. Gothic, Gothic literature yeah. and kind of, <laughs> you know, all of that stuff has that little bit of triteness, you know, there's the right. legend of the old spooky house and you know, the legend is going to replay itself. And that's kind of the, right, yeah. that yeah. kind of yeah. story. And um, <laughs> yeah, so there's a like really cool that, that I hadn't to just jump into the next thing there. Cause we kind of brought it up, but um there's a really cool kind of legend built around this whole house that just happens to be like a unit property, but something that, you know, Kate became aware of as a girl when she was spending time there and playing with Ben. And they even have the little, um, you know, kind of nursery rhyme about the little gray man and this kind of spooky ghost. And Mm. um, the coolest thing about it, I think is they don't give you a whole lot of like, Hey, this is exactly what the ghost looks like. There's kind of some, description here and there and like oh he's he's gray and he's they call right. him they call him a little gray man um they call him a gray specter they call you know i kind of imagine that people are seeing different things but i'm not sure um but uh what do you think about like kind of the, the mythology the little bits we got of of, of Ealing, Is it's Ealing house um and uh just kind of what did that did that add to the kind of gothic uh, roots of this story
3: oh yeah no i think like you said it all sort of fits into the same gothic macabre style of things
0: yeah and you know somebody who's done a little bit of reading up on the paranormal you know a lot of hauntings tend to be subjective anyway right um especially you know which in in fact the solution that roy gill employs for what's going on here is used as an explanation for why they're so subjective so it you know from a parapsychology point of view it fits in too
2: what was the name of that theory i remember them talking about it the the, stone tape theory Um,
0: which is uh, it's also known as residual haunting phenomenon. And it gets um, it gets this more colloquial name from Nigel Neal's classic uh, Christmas 1972 BBC drama about a group of sound engineers in a house uh, experimenting with new recording mediums, because this was the early seventies and Mm. they end up discovering that um, traumatic events or big emotional events are somehow imprinted on places and in structures. So in so that's the idea of what might be happening here, and it's a it's a real life idea in parapsychology to explain why, particularly you know, battlefields or murder scenes and stuff seem to have uh, so many ghost reports because you know it makes sense that those would be places where you would have traumatic events. Somehow we we don't have a mechanism for it, uh, at least right. that we're aware of, that gets imprinted on the landscape. Yeah.
3: Sapphire and steel does the same thing, and at least yeah. in their first story, yeah, possibly yep. in others as well. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I remember so, that from that show and that the first story is the one I specifically was thinking of when, yeah, when, when listening to this, but also when yeah. you explaining that so. anyway. Yeah. So I, I think it, it, obviously the story was effective enough to invoke us to uh, yeah, get into a conversation about this. So it's,
1: uh,
2: <laughs> um, yeah. Do you guys have any final thoughts about invocation um, and anything we, we didn't get to already? Um, no, um, I don't think so.
0: <laughs> it's it's just a neat little ghost story with a yeah. uh, with a very unit twist on the uh, on some old ideas yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. um yeah I, I totally agree with that um i guess let's go ahead and give this thing a grade and i'm gonna do it obviously out of five little gray men for this uh this <laughs> one but if you had to give it a grade what do you think where do you think you'd land on this one
3: um i think i'd give it like a 4.5 uh little gray men so, I, I really enjoyed it. I think I, oh, yeah, one more. Th- I was I'm, haven't listened to his volume six of Unit yet, but I'm wondering if Ben will return as an antagonist because hmm. he's got computer skills, and volume six is Cyber Reality about Cybermen. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, good. Yeah. Very but well, yes, maybe. 4.5 on my from me.
2: <laughs> How about you, Matthew?
0: I think i'm going to give it a just a solid four little gray men for me it's a it's a very effective ghost story i think some of the uh, some of the coincidental stuff and some of the kind of phony you know sort of the phone conversation let me describe exactly what's happening to me right now uh, i think knocks that uh, knocks a star or a half star off of it for me or little gray man i should say um (laughs) But um, it's a very effective little ghost story. I think if you enjoy the kind of the gothic thing, well I mean if you if you're listening to this, obviously you're a unit fan. and if you're a unit fan, you're probably going to enjoy that kind of thing anyways um, I don't know if it's my favorite story from the set. I think false negative, which is the the ult- the parallel universe one that concludes the set' probably my favorite. but this one's definitely worth listening to, especially if you're into that kind of, as you said, that Tom Baker, early Tom Baker, gothic core feel to things.
2: Yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to land right there with you. I think I'm going to give it four Little Grey Men. Um, I think it was my favorite of the set, but they were all very good. It was a strong set, so it's it's yeah. hard to say. Uh, this one might just be a little bit more up my alley because I, as Matthew just mentioned, I am a fan of all of those things. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it just, this one, loses some points in a few places for you know what writing this little week or like the the narrative structure that I just didn't really like uh understand uh why they did it that way. But it wins back all of those points and just like being a great little atmospheric piece. And I like that it's a standalone, it's a ghost story. It's got really strong acting from the lead characters. Um yeah, just a lot of really great stuff. Um I don't know. You can't, you can't do a whole lot better than that. <laughs> and I liked that they were kind of, and, and I expected it to be more of a um, season-esque box set. Like some of them are, and it's not that it wasn't, but it certainly had that, you know, kind of classic feel of being a little more episodic. And um, yeah. yeah, I thought that was cool. It was gave, gave four like very distinctly different stories, which was fun. And two classic, yeah. you know, classic villains popping up as fun as well. But yeah. So I, I guess that's all that, uh, all we have on invocation i strongly recommend you look that one up it is only available as part of the unit encounters or unit season five box set but as we've been saying all along all four of those uh episodes are pretty fantastic so you could definitely definitely worth your money to uh, pick it up and um yeah and if you do let us know uh, uh what you think of invocation give us uh, shoot us an email at the video junkyard podcast at gmail.com just use the uh the subject line police box. So I know that you're talking to me and uh, I will, um, yeah, send us your review or whatever, and we will um, certainly read it on the show. Yeah, I'd like to open up the conversation to anyone that wants to get in on it. Also jump on our Facebook group as well. I'd love to have you there. So only one more thing to do today, and that is to hit the big red button on the randomizer and see what it is that we are going to be uh, checking out for next time. So let me push the button. And uh, it is uh, this time one of my personal favorites from the new series of Doctor Who. We are going to check out the two-part episode of The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances by Steven Moffat from the first Ooh. series of Ooh, New Doctor nice. Who. So yeah. yeah, I was very, very happy when this spun up uh, because it's one that I, if I had to only pick, you know, 10 stories to talk about, this would get up there. So this is one. right
3: now yeah, that's good stuff.
2: So yeah, I hope everybody will um join us for the Empty Child Dr. Dances next month. I want to thank Matthew and Assad for being here and um yeah, can't wait to get together again and talk about the uh, one of my favorite ninth doctor stories, probably my favorite ninth doctor story. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thanks guys and we'll thank make- you. l-l-a-p Thanks Feel for better. listening.
0: So <laughs> So long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs>
2: thanks again for listening. I hope you will consider joining us next time for our discussion about a Doctor Who television story, as well as our discussions about Doctor Who audio adventures, both audio books and audio plays. Also, we will be doing discussions of Doctor Who novels, nonfiction books, and other fun stuff. Until next time, I have been your host, Eric Branson, and this has been the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast.
1: Special thanks to all of our guests and contributors. The police box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of the video Junkyard podcast family and can be found on most major podcast providers including SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Podcast Addict, and Spotify. Doctor Who theme composed by Ron Grainer, arranged as Doctor Who retro theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC.